thought. Now, I want you to just pay attention. If you have your pen, write just a little line under the small s there. In consideration of that part of the which shall never die, which we're talking about, if we're body, soul, and spirit, I'm talking about the part that never die. We often, we are often left with the crossover definitions of soul and spirit. So, in other words, some people, some theologians would consider the spirit as the eternal part. Brother Woodward often does that. There is a part of you that will never die, but there is a spirit of you that's your, constitutes um, a particular framework for you. And so we'll give it a couple of different uh, looks, maybe three different facets of it. We'll call it attitude or disposition, maybe personality that makes up your spirit. Some of this has to be our working definition here because we, we need to kind of funnel this down into the idea of, of what you display, who you are. Each of those terms reveal, describe, or interpret the spirit of a person. Restoring a spirit of integrity, and I'm, I'm not talking about the Holy Spirit now, simply means that we are restoring an honest and principled attitude that's based upon the nature of Jesus Christ. Um, I'm gonna, I don't want to deviate here, I, but I just want to, I want to lay a little groundwork for you. Adam and Eve were in the garden, they were naked and unashamed, they sinned, they disobeyed. When they ate of the forbidden fruit, um, their eyes were enlightened to their nakedness. They made for themselves clothes out of fig leaves. But of course, their garments that they made were not sufficient. And God killed the first animals to make clothing for them. Adam and Eve would have not have been free moral agents had there not been a tree or an option. Without the option, you're a robot. You have no freedom. So the option to do wrong um, gave credence or definition to right. There's no cold without hot. There's no, there's no light without darkness, no day without night. There's no counter. If there's no counter, then there's no original definition. So nothing can be defined without its polar opposite. And in this particular case, um, at the beginning of time, we have um, the first family that ever that that are live they're living in a paradise with no opposition. When opposition came and introduced them to something, they listened to that, and of course, um, the New Testament says that Eve was deceived; Adam was not deceived. So we have this. Um, bifurcation, as it were. Things are well, and then the option has caused them to split off, and there's a, there's a departing of disobedience, but also there's something that is affected, and that's the attitude or the spirit of a person. And that happens at the beginning, because from that moment of Adam and Eve's sin, their disobedience, comes a domino effect that shows up in their children, the first family. And there's jealousy, pride, and envy that shows up in Cain. He learns that from his parents. And he learns that also from the innate flesh. After the sin, 
everyone then is born into sin, but he also is learning the trait of how to be jealous and hateful. He has a spirit, and everyone will have a spirit. It's your spirit. He has an attitude, this disposition, his, his spirit. Now, I just want you to know that from that moment uh, of, of the garden's disobedience, each of us have opportunities to conduct ourselves or to manage ourselves, as it were. Perhaps um, we have the opportunity to decide what kind of spirit we, we, we want. Um, and so this is something that, that, that is perplexing to a generation who believes that it's someone else's fault uh, for my behavior. <laughs> and this is the kind of generation we're living in today. Now, perhaps other generations have this too, but, but we weren't there. We are here now. Many people have this idea that the reason why I have this attitude problem is because someone else made me do that. You know, someone else made me do it. I, I'm angry because someone made me do it. Or this is the way environment is. So before I delve too far into that spirit, let's just talk about his spirit and my spirit. The spirit of God is also known as the presence of God. We could call that the Lord. The Lord is here, the presence of the Lord. I also would give you the spirit of God as the active moving force of God. The active moving force of God. So when the Spirit of the Lord covered the earth, moved upon the waters in the beginning, that was the active moving force of God. But of course, that's also God. And here are the subsequent verses, Ephesians 4 and 4. There is one body and one spirit. Everyone say one spirit. There's one spirit. There's not two or five. There's one spirit. It is the Spirit of the Lord. We, we can name that spirit or name him as we were. As we will, but it's one spirit, even as ye are called in one hope of your calling. First Timothy 4.1, I didn't give you the whole scripture. Now the spirit speaketh expressly. So the spirit has functions here. And then we're talking about his spirit. I'm, all I'm trying to do at this juncture is just to differentiate between his spirit and my spirit. Quench not the spirit. So there is a spirit. It's not my spirit. My spirit has different attributes to it. So his spirit um, is one spirit. It speaks. It, it moves. It has, it has a, a tenderness about it. You and I, with our spirit, our little s, can shut down the big capital S. You can, you can quench it. If Paul would admonish the Thessalonians not to quench it, it would mean by just mere deductive reasoning that you can quench it. Otherwise, he would not tell us not to quench it. We have the, the unique ability in all the world of all the, creation, uh, of all the creation to stop or quench it. Maybe to shut it off like a valve, you know. And our spirit can shut it down real quick. But my spirit has some other attributes to it. There's some things about my spirit, the human spirit. My spirit is a garment that I wear. It's a garment. Everyone, you, you, you're putting on clothes so you can present yourself in some particular way. There's a garment. I met a man the other day who had painter's pants on. And I said, and he had painter's pants, and, had, and he had paint on the pants. You know, I've got some painter's pants, and you just keep them, you just wash them. And, but they usually have whatever color you were painting on, you usually just wipe it on your pants. And I said to him, hey, you're a painter. Nope. I said, well, you've been painting? No. 
Do you paint? Nope, I don't paint. I, I know I shouldn't have said that. I said, what, what are you wearing those pants for, man? Whose pants you got on? <laughs> I don't think he appreciated that at all, but, but he... Um, you wear, you're wearing something, your clothes that you wear, you, you like those, that's your style. It, it's your style. It may not be a good style. It, you might have gotten trapped in some year. You, you may just be wearing something that you like. It could be hand-me-down stuff. I always got to wear, I always was glad when Scott got some new clothes because mom would hand them down to us and we would get, we would get my cousin Tony's clothes. We would get those and that, you know, it, but you're usually presenting something like that. And it's a garment. Your spirit is like, is like that, a garment. Now, Peter is talking about, about how women ought to adorn themselves. But I think that there's a great truth here in just this one verse. So, I, so I'm just kind of jumping into the, into the narrative. But let it be the hidden man of the heart. What you should wear in that which is not corruptible. Even the ornament of a meek and quiet spirit. Which is in the sight of God a great price. You wear a spirit, bold, brash, maybe your personality is a high dominant, high choleric, but everyone wears something. You're wearing a disposition and we could call it an attitude or maybe a personality, but everyone has a garment that they're wearing. It's your spirit. Now, in the in the world of psychology, they say that you actually meet someone somewhere between 15 and 30 feet before you actually meet them. Your spirit is like a radio transmitter. It kind of goes out. You know, you can kind of see someone from afar. And, um, and when you're connecting, you're feeling something as you come along and you, your eyes meet. It is true that you give off some kind of personality, some kind of, I don't... I, for a better word, vibe. But we're wearing something. There is a spirit. There are people who really do have a humble spirit. And you can tell that. The humility. Humility is a garment. I'm going to talk to you a little bit about humility. That kind of garment. Humility. The garment of humility never fits at first. You actually have to, have to decrease to get into that garment. The garment of humility is always very stiff at first. It always makes you less than what you think you should be. But everyone wears a garment. The garment of pride is very powerful. The garment of pride boasts of you. It makes, it makes mention of you. It, it shines light on your life. We know of the scripture of the garment of praise. Where the Lord in Isaiah was going to trade the people. When he came, he's going to trade the spirit of heaviness for the garment of praise. He's going to make a trade for you. The garment of praise. When we come into the house of the Lord, there's the garment of praise. We ought to put on that garment. Everyone has a garment. Your spirit um, is a garment that you wear. So it doesn't matter what kind of clothes you're wearing. Your outer clothes can never cover up your spiritual or your spirit garment. The second thing in this, in this human spirit, this attribute, is a disposition of choice. And of course, Paul would write that in time past, 
You walked a certain way. You walked according to the prince of the power of the air. And then it said, he said, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience. This is by, this is by option. This is a choice. And there is a spirit that works in the children of disobedience. And then the next scripture in Galatians, brethren, if a man be overtaken the fault, ye which are spiritual, restore such a one. Now there is another spirit, the spirit of meekness. These two spirits, the, the spirit of, if I could just summarize that, the, the spirit of disobedience and the spirit of meekness are often really the conflict. Uh, they're really in conflict, those two spirits. But all of that is by choice. No one, no one but you decides how you will live or what, what you will say or how you will approach life. Your attitude is really what you decide it will be. Now I want to get back to the integrity of our spirits or our attitudes. I want to restore an honest spirit. How do I do that? I do it through the nature of Jesus Christ. And the nature of Jesus Christ is what I have to, I have to example my life after. And, and if I'm not doing that, if I'm not seeking out the Lord, then I'm probably going to imprint on someone else. And chances are they're not going to lead me in the correct way. I'll give you the third one, and surely I've not exhausted these, but this is a desire. It is a desire. The, 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 the human spirit. It's by desire. Having therefore these promises, dearly beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. So what is, what is Paul telling the church at Corinth? Cleanse yourself, the flesh, the spirit. So it would be the outward and the inward. It would be what you would do with your mind and your spirit. What you would do with your thoughts and how you present yourself. Cleanse yourself. This is by desire. And, and I would say this to all the people, and I'm sure this is going to be rehearsed, and, 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 I, and I hope that you're listening on podcast or maybe live or in CD, but I just want everyone to know this. The church, the collective body of the church, with its particular ministries, can never force or legislate holiness or, cleanse, or, or cleansing of the flesh and the spirit. It cannot be legislated by a pulpit, a preacher, a denomination, or a church. It cannot be. That is an individual choice that we make every day of our lives. And the church body, as I've been speaking about, this corporate structure, it is enhanced when individuals choose to cleanse themselves of the flesh and their spirits. When we don't, we bring in all of our, maybe I, I don't know what kind of spirit you might bring in, but we bring in all of our different spirits and then we want the Holy Spirit to do something with, with all of us. But the problem is our small spirits are quenching the powerful spirit. He can do all things, anything, but a lot of times our attitudes get in the way. It is by desire. If you want to have a clean spirit, you'll have to have a desire for a clean spirit. If you want to cleanse yourself from things in your life, you have to have a desire to cleanse yourself from things in the world. Now, this is really what I'm just, what I just told you is a very, it's, it's, it's 
far removed from, from the days when, when, um, when people used to write down a list of what you could and could not do. Uh, when people decided that this is how you're going to be saved and this is what you have to do every day and here's how all the functions happen. There are some people that cannot come to new life. They will not come. They, they don't want to be saved here. They can't be saved here because they, they have sought out what are the do's and the don'ts? What, what should I not do? What should I do? And when I constantly reply to them for all these years now, almost two decades, let's pray and see, see what God wants you to do. They don't, they're not happy with that because they don't like individual um, directives from God. They would rather have a general corporate directive from the pastor. But some of you in here need to hold on to some convictions or create new convictions that will save your life from a destructive end. While other people will not struggle with that. A case in point, many years ago, a gentleman in our church, I know this sounds a little silly, but he drank a, a pot of coffee before he ever started his day. And the Lord convicted of him of, of that, and he stopped drinking coffee. And uh, he said, I don't think that, that God really wants me to do it. It, 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 it. it, of course, there was a lot of caffeine. There was a lot of issues there with all of that. He told me this many, many years ago. And, and so he was convicted of that. But I will tell you, tomorrow morning, I'm going to get that, that cream out. It's, it's a it's sugar-free French vanilla cream that I have in my refrigerator. And I am not going to think of him and his conviction when I am drinking. I don't even really like coffee. I just like the cream. And put a little coffee there, and 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 then I'm I'm a social drinker because Tammy likes to drink her coffee. I have the Keurig. She has that fancy espresso, the old espresso. And so, that's not my conviction, but that's important for him. There are some things that are just Bible. You obey the Scripture. You don't have to have a conviction about lying. There, you don't need a conviction about stealing. Someone was asked many years ago at a conference if they would be part of the prayer team for the conference. They said, well, I don't know. Let me pray about it. What's the first clue? You don't want them on your prayer team. You don't need to pray about praying. You don't need to, be, you don't need to pray about giving. You don't need to pray about worshiping. You, you'll never need to pray about being faithful to church. Those are actual scriptural references that give us direction for our lives there are principles you don't have to pray about whether or not you want to smoke uh, 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 marijuana because the bible gave us a principle your body is the temple of the holy ghost the bible says wine is a mocker we don't have to talk about malt liquor malt liquor is not in the bible but wine is a mocker strong drink is folly to him if you start to look at the scriptures you'll find principles that that help us live our lives. But then there are other things that God gives us on that third level that are convictions that the Lord impresses on us or leads us. And you have to have a desire to live that way to cleanse yourself. All right. See, the, see the, the, it's much easier if you gave me... The, the best years of my life were in college. And, and, and I have a lot of friends that didn't know how to function outside of college because when you go to school, when you're, when you're in the university, they tell you what time the class is, then you figure out when you can eat, then you 
you figure out when your labs are and you figure out when you can study and you figure out when you can go to the gym. It's all down on a piece of paper. You have it all. And when you graduate, you don't know what to do. So you go back to school. You just keep going to school. It's wonderful. Someone sets your agenda your whole life. <laughs> how is it? We forgot how to have a personal walk with God because we wanted someone to tell us how to have a walk with God. Are you, are you with me here in this room? How are we doing here? I'm just, okay. It, if you don't have the desire, I can't give you the desire. I can give you direction, I can't give you the desire. I can give you the instruction, but I cannot get into your mind and say, okay, you know what, tomorrow morning I'm going to wake up, I'm going to open up my Bible, I'm going to read a chapter. Pastor's been talking about the chapter. I'll give you, I'll give you the M90. I'll, we're, we're about to give all the brand new one-year Bibles. I, you should get a brand new one-year Bible. Spend the 10 bucks. Just bypass Starbucks twice and you can get a brand new one-year Bible. This is, if you don't have the desire, you won't go very far. In fact, when church stops, when church is no longer appealing to you, when the service is no longer appealing to you, you will probably end your relationship with the church because all you have is what, what, what the church it's feeding you, or if the church is appealing to you. I know people who came to church, they love the church, but the moment that their, that their child got a little older and didn't want to go to church, they just quit. Why did they quit? Because they didn't have a desire. They were only going for the benefit of someone else. And when that person lost their benefit, they lost their relationship. Okay, how are we doing? Okay. I'm, I'm assuming that everybody is happy with this lesson so far. I'll just assume that. Five aspects of a bad spirit. So if you're not happy yet, let me just make you more miserable. Five, five aspects of a bad spirit. The first aspect of a bad spirit, now this, don't, don't find this too simplistic. I'll, I'll help you with it. The unchristian, it's unchristian. It's defined as, doing, as undoing the work of, the, of Calvary. It's unchristian. Therefore, prepare your minds for action. Be self-controlled. Set your hope fully on the grace to be given when Jesus Christ is revealed. As obedient children, do not conform to desires when you, you lived in ignorance, but just as he has called you who is holy. So, so be holy in everything you do. It's written, be holy because I am holy. The first, the first thing that a bad spirit, that aspect of a bad spirit, is that you have forgotten or maybe you have not realized that the Lord has called you to a life of holiness and self-control. Your mind, you're, you're not, your spirit's not in control. The Bible even subscribes that it's easier for a man to control a city than for him to control his own spirit. For men, let me just tell all the men what, what, what modesty is to women Self-control is to men. The Bible says he would that men would lift up holy hands without two things. Without wrath, that's a temper problem. And doubting, that's skepticism. Men would lift up holy hands without wrath. Sometimes the word men or man means mankind, means men and women. But in this particular case, it's very clear that Paul's talking about men lift up holy hands without wrath and doubting. Why would he say that? Because in, in Judaism... And, and in the known world there, even among the Gentiles at that time, men led in worship, men led in praise, men led in sacrifice, men did. So men, you're leading with holy hands without, without a, 
an intemperate spirit and without skepticism or doubt. This is hard for men to do. And I thank all the wives for not amening at that point. This is the unchristian aspects of a bad spirit. I'm going to just tell you right now, I hope that you come to the altar, worship. I pray that the Lord, as, as Isaiah uh, described, that he would give you stammer lips and another tongue, Isaiah 28, 10, 11, that he would speak to you through stammer lips and another tongue. It was, it was, it's a beautiful thing to happen. I think 15 or 17 people received, by the time Sunday night was done, 15, 17 people received the baptism. Cody, I'm so excited, Cody. Brian, raise your hand, Brian, my two left brain engineer guys. Man, if the, if the left brains can get the Holy Ghost, anybody can get the Holy Ghost. They're here just to balance the rest of us drama people out. This, if, if you, if you, which is kind of funny because it's my Episcopalian sitting right next, there, there you go. It's just. So I don't want you to think that you don't need the Holy Ghost, or you don't need the Spirit. I just, but I also want to caution all of you that there are some things that the Holy Ghost, the Holy Spirit, is not going to do for you. It's not going to change your spirit. The Holy Spirit can be quenched by your spirit. And your spirit is not controlled by the Holy Spirit. <laughs> well, Pastor, I thought I was a new creature. You are if you want to be, but you, you don't have to be. Let's just move on because I, I'm going to get stuck right there. I just have to tell you that there are too many people claiming to be Christians, claiming to be Pentecostals, but they're not Christian. They're undoing the work of Calvary. They're undoing the work of Calvary by their attitudes, by their dispositions, by their attitudes. Some are self-righteous. Some people walk around and they're self-righteous. And that all they can see is criticism everywhere. All they can see is what other people are doing wrong. Uh-huh. Some are not self-righteous. Some are flagrantly offending because they think that nothing matters. And so they live outside of the law of Christ. And so they would just say, well, I don't, I don't have to do that. You're undoing. You should never give up your convictions. Whatever God has convicted you of, he's not going to change his mind. He did that for your sake so that you could be saved. Number two. Um, the other aspect is it has companions. It has companions. Picks up people along the way. I love 1 Corinthians 15, 33. Don't be deceived. Evil communication corrupts good manners. Awake to righteousness. Don't sin. Some have not the knowledge of God. I speak this to your shame, he said. And the NIV says, don't be misled. Bad company corrupts good character. Evil communications, bad company. Come back to your senses as you ought. Stop sinning, for there are some who are ignorant of God. I say this to your shame. Incredibly enough, even the church of that day had some major problems because a bad spirit collects other bad spirits. We were in a, uh, we were in a big, we were youth pastors. Tammy and I, we were youth pastors, and we had a large group. We probably had 50 kids. We went to a big convention. There was 2,000 people at the convention. One of our kids had a problem uh, with drugs, and and, uh, and and the boy had a problem with drugs. One of the girls, unrelated, had a, a problem with being promiscuous. And in that 2,000-seat auditorium where all those teenagers were, wouldn't you, wouldn't you know it, within two hours, three hours of that meeting, that young guy, that one of the guys that we had, he found a compadre. 
who had drugs. And the girl um, found some other people that were like-minded with her. Because you attract who you are. And, and a bad spirit, a bad spirit has companions and picks up people. And there's company in that, in that group. And it corrupts everything. This is the aspect of a bad spirit. How incredible it is that people, just like inclusiveness, eventually if you are a fisher, a fisherman or a hunter, you'll find somebody else in the church that is that. It won't take you long. If you're a cowboy, all of a sudden, you know, the Stetson conversations are going on. If you're a NASCAR person, you can just sense out everybody. There's boom, going, going left, going left, going left, going left. You're going to find them out. Also, if you have a bad spirit, bad, bad spirits, bad attitudes, they attract one another. It has companions. Number three, there's, there's a root there. It's defined as pride and self-exaltation. The root. It didn't, didn't just originate in this time. It originated before our time. But it carried on in our time. When Lucifer said, I will ascend. That same poisonous thought. It's a root. Pride is a root. Self-exaltation is a root. The, the, the effects, the aspects of this bad spirit, it is rooted, it has a root. Number four, it prolongs, a bad spirit prolongs problems. They should have gone away, but a bad spirit keeps them stirred up. I'm going to tell you the best way to keep your problem alive. Talk about it. Rehearse it. Write it down in a book. Post it. I don't even know how this works, but if you'll put your bad moment on Facebook. Next year it will ding and remind you of it. Now the only reason why I know that is, is Tammy's computer went off and dinged and I said, what is it? She said, oh, it's a f- five years ago. Look at the family. That's how people live when they have bad attitudes and bad spirits and, they're, and something's wrong inside. They're reminded, you know, this time last year I was really offended. This time last year someone did something wrong to me. Keep talking about it. Keep rehearsing it. It'll prolong the problem. Watch this. There is a hesitation. Don't let there be a hesitation. If God sends you a word, don't hesitate to get out of your dilemma. The hesitation itself can cripple you and your whole family. God called you. God did it. Let the work be done just like it was done on Calvary. The hesitation was, Abraham said, Lord, don't destroy those cities. If I could find 50 or 20, 30, 10, no, no one could be found. And God said to Abraham, Lot is going to die. I'm going to send some angels. I'll get Lot, his wife, his, and, and his two daughters out. And the angels came. Even Lot knew they were angels of God. He tried to protect them. But when they tried to bring them out, the Bible says he hesitated. And that's when the men, the angels, grasped the hands of, of, of Lot, his wife, and his two daughters and led them out of safety. Why did he, why was that? Because Peter said that they were delivered. Just Lot, vexed with the filthy conversation of the wicked. He had been around too many people that conversed with him wicked things. That righteous man, can you imagine Peter calling him the righteous man? Dwelling among them and seeing and hearing, vexed his righteous soul from day to day with their unlawful deeds. Bad spirits, it's contagious, it has a root, it has companions. It's undoing the cause of Jesus Christ. And finally, it evolves into infections. Your bad spirit, my bad spirit, 
my attitude to things I'm dealing with. It doesn't just stay isolated. Bitterness never stays isolated. It touches other parts of our lives, even if we don't want them to, even if they are unintended. It always touches. A bad spirit always touches other parts of our lives. Found this thought here. It was Stanford Research Institute. And it says that the money you make in any endeavor is determined only by 12 and a half percent of knowledge, what you know. But Stanford Research said that 87% is, is based upon your ability to deal with people, your spirit, your attitude as you deal with other people. So 87% of what you know, 12% of the actual product. Most people that come to new life will forget what I'm preaching. Most people, but they won't forget how they felt. They'll, they'll forget the actual words that came out, but they won't forget how they were treated by the church. I don't know even if we could just go back in January and start reliving the sermons. I, I probably, if I would just retitle them, I could probably re-preach all the sermons, and I think that's what I'm going to do in 2019. We're just going to say ditto, and I'm just going to start over. And unless you wrote my sermon title in your Bible, I'll be home free. Except for a couple of the left brain guys who are going to remember everything. Because you just see me like, like I'm the matrix, and, I, and you, you configure me as an algorithm. How is it? This infection. Our spirits, when they get infected... They touch other parts of our lives. We didn't want them to do that. We didn't want to have that happen, but they do. And we look diligently, lest any of us fail of the grace of God, lest any root of bitterness springs up and troubles us, but other people are defiled. Because our spirit is infectious. Now, let's flip that on the other side of the coin. It's also wonderful if you have a good spirit, you are affecting other people. You're affecting them for the good, but you could also infect them with a disease, a poison. This happens in churches all the time. All the time. And I've heard people say, well, this is the reason why I don't go to New Life, and they'll, they'll, they'll give a reason. That was not really the reason. That's what they told you that's not the reason. Well, I got a problem with this. I got a problem. And that was not the reason at all. Most people who tell you why they backslid or why they left will not tell you the real reason. They're going to tell you something that makes them look better. Than what the truth really is. Oh my. Okay, let's move on. Maybe we'll get to something good. Let me just present these polar views for you. There are just a few polar views. The first is whether or not you're trainable or teachable. Are you trainable? Are you teachable? Can you learn something? Can you, can you learn? What I love about Brother Heiss is that, of the many things I love about Brother Heiss, is that he's always telling me, um, I love when he calls me kid. Some, we have new people here tonight, Brother Heiss. Brother Heiss is 92, and he always called his wife kid, a term of, of endearment. So when Brother Heiss turns to me and says, kid, you taught me something new today. That's the first time I've heard that. He's learning something. How could that be? He's learning something. I'm learning new things. I want you to learn new things. I want you to learn new Bible things. Don't, don't assume that you know all things. Be teachable. Be trainable. 
But of course, the opposite is pretty clear. It's unteachable. Are you unteachable? This is your spirit. Untrainable. Cannot be guided. Polar, the polar views. There, there are people in this world, their spirit says, teach me, I want to learn. Others are unteachable. That has everything to do with your integrity. That has everything to do with your character. Your character, your integrity, it, it, this has, it's all wrapped together in what kind of spirit you have. Some folks have a stiff arm. They don't want anyone to get close to them because they're, it's like a football player. They're kind of stiff arming someone so they can get by them. And I would say to you, be teachable, be trainable. Number two, the polar view is a moral authority versus a moral flaw. And it starts, those, those to have moral authority, there's integrity in your life. So the man who smokes cigarettes in the bathroom trying to hide it from his kids has a tough time teaching them about how to be abstinent in their dating years. Because he's lost his moral authority. He doesn't feel like he's good enough to give direction. This happens all the time. He has checked out. He has, he has decided that he's not righteous enough, holy enough, godly enough. And he knows that because he's lost his moral authority. He needs to give direction to them about things that may be unrelated. You shouldn't buy that car. You shouldn't make that investment. That's a bad investment. Because, but because he's lost his moral authority, his spirit's damaged. If you contain and retain your moral authority, um, it gives you, it, it changes your spirit. You have a confidence. I'm not talking about arrogance, but there's a confidence with people who have retained their moral authority. But when there's moral flaws, it damages your spirit. Now the man remains silent and the woman begins to lead. This happens all the time. This is happening in America for a long time. Maybe about 30, if my, if my numbers are right, somewhere around 38 years now, we've been experiencing television commercials where the dumb guy is in the commercial and the wife or the girlfriend is the smart one. And the dumb guy is because he has moral flaws. He's some kind of moral flaws. He just can't figure things out. And he's always goofy or he's ignorant or he's dumb. He's lost his authority. And I think both men and women ought to retain their moral authority. That way iron will sharpen iron. Let her see a polar view. It's a follower versus the independent. I'm glad that we, we got our independence from England. I'm happy about that. But you should never lose your independence from your spiritual authority, the church, the scripture, the Bible, God. You should never, don't ever think you're independent because, listen to what I'm about to say. The autonomous person is the most dangerous person in the room. When you are an island to yourself, you have no one to say no to you. No one to say, hey, this is good, why don't you wait? Can anyone push the pause button in your life and just say, hey, why don't you wait on that for a moment? If you're not, then you're independent. If you don't have it, you're independent. Or as Peter wrote, ye younger, submit yourselves unto the elder. Yea, all of you be subject one to another. How about that? What if everyone was subject one to another and be clothed with humility? That's what happened with Achan. Right after the battle of Jericho, he took what he should not have taken. And he put it under his tent. And the next battle, little, little town of Ai, it was, it was a group of farmers. They, they, we're not even really sure if they had armament, but they slaughtered Israel and Israel ran home crying and beneath the campfires there was, there was 
women, there was mothers and children crying over their lost fathers and sons. They died at Ai. Ai. They had a great success at Jericho, but they died at Ai. Why? Because they he didn't think that what he did personally mattered to the whole. He thought whatever he did, he was independent from the law of God. Come to find out, he was not. A follower, you are never diminished as a follower. You're never belittled as a follower. You can't lose as a follower, but you can if you're independent. Your spirit tells everybody what you are. Sometimes even your words will say it, but your spirit says, I'm a follower. I'm a believer. I'm, a, I'm, obedient. I'm teachable. I've retained my moral authority. Your spirit says that. Your attitude says that. I, I read from the NIV Proverbs 12 and 1. And there's a reason why I like this particular version of the scripture. Because I'm not allowed to say that really. But if it's in the Bible, I can read it. Whoever loves discipline loves knowledge. But he who hates correction is stupid. Let me just read that again just for my own sake because I'm enjoying that. Last portion. Anyone, if you love discipline, you love knowledge. But if you don't like correction, you're stupid. Can we just hover over that last word one more time? <laughs> uh huh. That's what we call the S word in our house. We'll walk around calling anyone stupid, but. If you hate correction, that's what you are. How is that? Because you can't be trained. Your spirit rejects all of that. 1 Corinthians 2. We've not received the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God. That we may understand what God has given, has freely given us. This is what we speak, not in words taught us by human wisdom, but in words taught by the spirit expressing spiritual truth in spiritual words. The man without the spirit does not accept the things that come from the spirit of God for they are foolishness to him. You see this now? His spirit, his attitude, his disposition is rejecting the holy things of God. He cannot understand them because they are spiritually discerned. He's not a spiritual man. He's a fleshly man. The spiritual man makes judgments about all things, but he himself is not subject to any man's judgment. So, there is something different about your spirit. If your spirit is with the Lord, if, you're, if, if your spirit is engrossed in the Holy Spirit and you become a spiritual person, then it changes your attitude and your disposition. Let me just quickly go now. I think I'm on, am I already on the next page here? Where am I at? I'm on your next page. So my attitude helps me do a couple of things. It helps me to consider myself and I'm rushing. I consider myself. I like what Charles Swindoll said one time. He said, the longer I live, the more I realize the impact of attitude on my life. He said, attitude to me is more important than facts. It's more important than the past, than education, than money, than circumstances. My attitude, he said, is more important than my failures and my successes. It's more important than what other, th pe what other people think or say or do. It's more important than appearance, giftedness, or skill. He said, it will make or break a company, a home, or a church. I will say tonight, we cannot change the past. We cannot change the fact that people will act in a certain way toward us. Nor can we change the inevitable. The only thing we can do is the one thing we can do, and that is to adjust our attitude 
And I, and I, and I quote again. He said, I am convinced that life is 10% of what happens to me and 90% of how I react to it. We are in charge of our spirits, our attitudes, our dispositions. We are in charge. It grieves me a little bit. Let me just be transparent here. I, I, I want to love on everybody. I want to put my arm around everybody. I want to shake everyone's hand. And I'm floating around the church as much as I can. Usually I'm up at the front. Sometimes I try to get out in the foyer. But if I haven't talked to you in a while, come talk to me. Come talk to me. I'll give you my cell phone number. At the end of church, and when I'm not live, I'll give you my cell phone number. Or call the church, or let's go have coffee. But the idea, somehow, that, that, that well, no one wants to talk to me, or the pastor doesn't want to talk to me, or, or you know, the church is getting too large. It's, it's not too large. Our whole lives, Tammy and I, our whole lives are, are, are made up of, 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 of our family. This is our family. This is what we're doing. It's important. Don't ever think... Don't ever let your attitude become corrupted and say, well, no one loves me. Well, the Bible says, if you want a friend, make yourself friendly. And if you can't find a friend, keep trying. You'll find someone eventually. And if you can't find someone, then it might be time for you to change your attitude. There are certain colognes that you ought not wear. I had a cologne called Giacomo. I loved Giacomo. It was my favorite cologne. It, I don't even think they make it anymore, but I kept a bottle of Giacomo. And when I met Tammy, I sprayed a lot of Giacomo on. Come to find out, she did not like Giacomo. But I didn't know that for a long time because she was so nice to me. She liked me, but she didn't like, necessarily like my cologne. I was very offended when I found out the day after we were married. Sometime after marriage, she said, you know, honey, i got to confess to you. I just abhor Giacomo. I was so offended First of all, you should have told me that before we were married. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe it would have changed something. I'm not sure. We'd have had to talk about that. Never come up in counseling. She named a few colognes that she liked. I liked the niece and niece because my mother wore that. I bought, I was going to buy that for her. She said, oh, honey, that's okay. That smells just like your wonderful mother. That's a southerner's way for... Do not buy that for me. <laughs> I don't want to smell like your mom. Do I look like your mom? No. <laughs> uh-huh. There's, there's, there's things you spray on that you repel people. So not only is your attitude a garment, but it's also a fragrance. It's a, it's a, it's a disposition. And if you want love, you express love. If you want mercy, you give. Whatever you're giving out, that's what you're going to get in return. This is the way, this is the law of God. It's the, it's the law of harvest. It's greater than any laws written by Isaac Newton. It's the law of harvest. No law of inertia is greater than the law of harvest. No law of gravity is greater than the law of harvest. It's whatever you're giving out. And you might say, well, you know, I really tried to... Well, keep, try, keep trying. Keep trying. I want you to keep trying. So let's consider a few things. My attitude helps me consider myself. Because I have to consider my past judgments, my actions. Nobody knows my failures like me, my attitude. Some folks are self-defeated. Before they ever get out of the gate, they're already self-defeated. Number two, I have to consider my teacher. The person that's teaching me. 
Knowledge comes from God instead of, instead of pushing away the teacher in my life. I want to imprint on a good spirit. I've looked around in my life, always looked around in my life and found people that I wanted to imprint on. I love that. I, and I want them to imprint on my life. I, I, I want to know. I want to learn from them. I want to grow from them. I'm considering my teacher. My attitude helps me to consider my teacher. My teacher might have wonderful things to teach me. They might have a few flaws, but my spirit, my attitude, my disposition is to cover their flaws and consider or at least learn from their lessons. I'm going to consider the listener. If I am a teacher, I consider the listener. What can they handle, retain, receive, accept? When I'm speaking to other people, what can the listener grasp? So if I have a problem, am I spilling out my problem with someone else? Am I telling them something that they cannot handle? Maybe a situation, maybe a major, maybe a major dilemma that I'm in, but the listener cannot handle. It's going to, my attitude, if I'm mopey, if I'm, if I'm struggling. Some time ago, I was struggling with something and I preached and someone in the church said, Pastor, boy, it was a good night. And I said, I've been struggling. They said, well, I would never have known that. Uh, thank God uh, that I'm, I'm doing better. I'm, 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 I'm doing better. It used to be when I first started, if I had a fever, and I've had many fevers preaching, I would tell people, pray for me, I've got a really bad fever. And then the whole night, everyone would just be concerned that I might fall over. People start bringing me water. And Tammy told me, don't tell anyone if you've got a fever. Either stay home in bed or get up and preach it. Stop telling everybody you've got a fever. Obviously, she's not in this house right now, or I would not even use her name as much as I have, but I feel freedom in the Lord. <laughs> so I, whenever you're speaking, my spirit, my attitude, I have to consider who I'm around. Some things, I've got to control my attitude because some things cannot be. I have righteous indignation, but not everyone can handle the righteous indignation. And you also. Number four, consider God's direction and purpose. What is God teaching me? How is God leading me? What about my spirit? Am I receiving that? I'm not going to tell you that life is going to be easy. It's not going to be easy. I've never promoted an easy life when you start living for the Lord. I've promoted a good life. And I've promoted a life that you're going to live in the future with the Lord. This is my last little segment, and, I'm, and I want to conclude because we've got some pies to take care of. My attitude determines so much, my attitude. I will stand here and tell you, if I, I've done a few times, I wish my attitude had always been good. I wish I could say I've always had the right spirit, but I haven't always had the right spirit. Can you believe that of your pastor? Guess what? We are just alike. I like what Paul said. He said, I'm the chief sinner. Oh, don't say that, Paul. Don't say it. Can you imagine that I have struggled with my faith from time to time? Oh, don't say that, Pastor. That hurts me. Then you, you don't want to know the whole story. I'd really hurt you. Really, Pastor? Yes. Yes. Because my position in the ministry did not negate the battle of my flesh. 
The battle of my flesh is every day. I get up, I make war with my flesh. The carnal man is always at odds with the spiritual man. My attitude is always at odds with the Spirit of God. I've always got to crush my own attitude and my own spirit. My integrity rests, it hinges upon how I'm going to control my spirit. I can lose my integrity. It's like a building. It might take you two years to build a building. It just takes a few bombs in the right place to destroy it. You can destroy things a lot quicker than you can build them. And you can destroy them by having a bad spirit, uncontrolled, unconstrained, bad attitude. Oh, well, I'll tell you a reason why I don't, I don't like to go there because, because, you know, there's just not, there's a lot of issues there. Well, the issue was your bad spirit. That was the issue. But you, but what you've done is you've attributed it to something else. So let me just talk to you about what, what determines, what attitude determines. It determines your whole approach to life. Your whole approach to life. I read in a book, and it reminded me, Scotty told me this story years ago. We were younger. He told me the story about the man who, who uh, he ate, he ate uh, a particular kind of cheese. It smelled really bad. It was, it was, it was horrible cheese, and, and it smelled really bad. He ate it. He had a mustache. It got on his mustache, and he forgot that he, he ate it. And later on the day, he went into a, a, a room, and he said, man, this room stinks, smells. Went into another room. He went to a shop, a business. said, boy, this shop smells. It stinks. Whoa, they need to do something with this place. He went outside and he said, the whole world stinks. Attitude is what, it, it, it's, it's what, it's like the filter, what you're smelling, what you're taking in, attitude. And, and, it, and it's your whole approach to life. It's how you're seeing all of life. Listen, if you're a pessimist, you'll die a pessimist. Every, nothing will ever be right. Hear me, there's not enough Holy Ghost, there's not enough spirit, there's not enough good songs to change the pessimistic spirit. That is your choice, your approach to life. Your attitude determines your approach to life. And, and, and I'm trying to pull out people. If you're Eeyore, come on out, Eeyore. Nobody likes me. Nobody wants me to be here. I want you to be here. Come on, Eeyore, come on out. I'm not Eeyore. And the reason why I'm not Eeyore is because we didn't have a television. We had, a, we had an old turntable and mom would rent the... Record player. Oh, I don't want to get off on that. We, we, Disney, you know, we listened to Tigger. Bouncy, 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 fun, 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 fun. But the most wonderful thing about Tigger is I'm the only one. Oh, I'm the only one. Okay. Yeah. This is part of my repertoire of music appreciation. Which I'm trying to educate everybody on numerous levels at Bible study. Your approach to life. It's your whole approach to life. I decide what my attitude is going to be. I'm going to decide it's going to be a great day. It's a great day. That's why, that's why on a couple of Sundays and Easter, I've, I've read from Dr. Seuss, it's a great day for up. It's a great day for up. You just got to say it's going to be a good day. It's going to be a good day. Number two, your attitude determines your relationship. Relationships with other people is determined by your attitude. Your, my attitude, my disposition is determining my relationship with other people. If I don't have a good relationship with someone else, I, I cannot change them. I've got to ch- somehow chisel the parts away in my life. Number four, our attitude determines our acceptance of the word, the preached word, the taught word, the word. It opens up the word to me. See, my spirit, my attitude, it's like a door. It either opens up the word or it closes it. Number five, I'm sorry, number four. Our view of God, my attitude, my spirit, my view of God. 
he made me this way. Yes, I would like to be 6'3". I'll just settle for, for almost six. He made me this way. My view of God. Is the Lord merciful? Is he a mean God? Because something horrible happened in my life. Is his judgment, his goodness, his holiness, my view of God, my attitude is determined on all of that. Number five, our future success. My attitude is determining my future success. My spirit, your spirit is determining where you're going. It is the pointer of where you're heading. It is the, the wheel on the car is turning. Your attitude is turning it. Number six, our ability to recover is determined by our spirits. You will have major wounds and crises and problems. Of course, as my mother often taught us and I subscribe to it, many people are in storms, they're not in crisis. A crisis is a storm on three sides. Sickness, financial, marriage, children, take your pick. A crisis is a storm on three sides. Many people are in a storm. They're not in a crisis. But your ability to recover is all based upon your spirit and your attitude. You've got to, you've got to understand what Job went through. Job went through major, major crisis. Everything was gone. And even his wife, the only one left, never encouraged him. She said, why don't you curse God and die? He had boils on his body. He had lost all of his children. He was a wealthy man, the wealthiest man, now the poorest man. And he could not hear from God. I couldn't find God. How about all your prayers are prayed and the heavens are brass. Your body is withering away. You can't understand it. You've done everything right. You've, you've given, you've served, you've attended, and everything falls apart. Your attitude now is on the line. The only thing left for you to control, not money, not, can, hear me. You're not always going to be in control of your health. You might take all the ginseng you want. Eventually, it's going to run out. You, you can bathe in oil of Olay. Eventually, there will be wrinkles. Unless you're like Kenny Rogers and you're always surprised. That's a bad joke. I liked it, though. You're not turning back the time. Grandma on the Harley Davidson. I saw Grandma on the Harley Davidson a couple years ago. Yeah. Young enough to ride. She has the young enough to ride Harley Davidson t shirt. <laughs> I don't even want to tell you what really went through my brain at that moment. God love her. You're not going to roll back the time. There will be crisis in your life. Here, Pastor, there will be crisis in your life. There, there will be all these things that happen. And the only thing you're going to be able to control is your spirit, is your attitude. I give honor to Brother Foster. His, his mother has passed away and her, her services this Saturday here in this house. Viewing is from 10 to noon and at noon there is a service here. And I did not expect Brother Foster to be here. His, his mother passed away in the afternoon on Sunday. But he said to me, Pastor, after it was all said and done, what, what are we going to do? He said, I had to get to the house of the Lord. I had to worship. I had to come to worship. So he worshiped and wept and worshiped and wept. And that spoke volumes to me. In fact, it changed the entire order of our service because... When your attitude is right, it allows you to recover. If your attitude is wrong, even the smallest thing will cripple you. The things that should not bother you with a bad spirit, it will, it will crush your life. It will crush your life. 
Attitudes will determine whether or not you stay in the church. It will determine what, whether you can stay. It will determine when I offend you, hopefully not purposely. When I cut you, hopefully not purposely. It will determine whether or not you can make it through that cut. The word of God is sharper than a two-edged sword. Go ahead and start wheeling that word around. You'll inadvertently hurt somebody. <laughs> yes. Your attitude is telling whether or not you're following or leading. I've heard people say as a preface, you know, whenever people preface their statements, it basically reveals they're probably off. You know, I don't know what the pastor says about this. He probably won't agree with me, but I really feel this. Now, whatever comes after that is nonsense. And if you hear that statement floating around this church, and I don't know if the pastor agrees with it, if he don't agree with this, you know, but this is what I feel. You probably ought to stop him and say right there, okay, hold on right there. Before you tell me what you think, go check with the authority. Now, I don't know what the law says, but I really feel like 75 miles an hour up and down Wabash is great. It's just me. Before you go do all that mess, go check with the authority. Here's a preface for you. Listen, I don't want to give you the big head. You just ruined the compliment. Just stop right there. You've already, you trashed it. I don't want to puff you up. Puff me up. You just, you just killed me. Now you killed me. Now you want to bring me back from the dead. Just forget it. A compliment is not a compliment if it has a preface attached to it. And if your attitude is wrong, you'll hear, you, you, you'll be wounded in the process and your spirit will be crushed and you won't be able to recover. And things that really probably shouldn't have mattered became great. See, I don't even know if there's any really big problems in life. I think there's a lot of small ones that over time they make incremental steps and become massive. A little wound Somebody ignores somebody. Someone says something wrong. I'm not talking about the world. I'm talking about the church. We can't deal with the world. The world is sinners. Sinners are lost. We don't measure ourselves by the sinner. David said, when I consider the prosperity of the wicked, I almost fainted. I almost lost it until I went into the house of the Lord and considered their end. When I found out their end, then I realized it didn't matter that they were prosperous in the world. I figured out that at the end, it wouldn't matter what they had. So we deal with the church, with our lives, with our integrity in the church. And finally, before you click your books and we get on to pies, your attitude determines the extent of your learning because you'll never learn an integrity. The integrity of the scripture cannot even be extracted unless your attitude is correct. I say this to my children. It's not even what you say. It's how you said it. It's not just what you did. It's how you did it. 